0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Yeah, thanks everyone. Wow. It's been a great day already. I've been just extremely blessed. Uh, It's wonderful. I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see though. Welcome to this place of of Worship and fellowship, and a place where we uh, seek to come together and to lift up the name of jesus it 's all about him and what he 's done, and we 're so thankful uh, that he was willing to come, that he wanted to come, uh, even in spite of what that would mean for him, uh, humbling himself and and uh, suffering. Uh, on our behalf, the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. Uh, This morning, as we move into the sermon time, uh, our story begins with slavery. It was a common practice in the ancient world, of course, and uh, a lot could go wrong in those days uh, in the social order of things. Uh, Not only was enslavement often the result of oppression, uh, but people also have uh, been selling themselves out ever since the garden. So the slavery of the Israelite people uh, in Egypt was a combination of those things. We often think of the story of the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt as uh, their deliverance out of oppression, which it was, but um, like is often the case, it wasn't just simply a matter of their being oppressed, but also the fact that they, uh, they sold out. Um, you know, the world, the world, the ancient world was a, uh, often a ruthless place and, and our present world can be a pretty brutal place sometimes too. And sometimes it, it's more of oppression and sometimes it's a matter of us getting ourselves into trouble. But in the case of Israel, it really, it really, um, really was a combination of both, um, do you remember how Israel got to Egypt? Do you remember how they ended up there? That word remember just keeps coming up over and over again today. And it's amazing how many times it's come up in my, uh, in my uh, week. Um, but you may remember, you may recall how Joseph was sold out by his brothers. And uh, 20 pieces of silver. And when you sell it your brother, you sell it yourself, whether you realize it or not. It's true. And then some 400 years later, when God revealed himself to Moses on the backside of the Midian desert, do you remember how God spoke from the burning bush that was burning but was not being consumed? And do you remember what he said Let me read it to you. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He used to sing a song in the old days called, uh, He Lifted Me. From sinking sand, he lifted me. With nail-scarred hands, he lifted me. He lifted Israel out of Egypt. And do you remember the message that God gave Moses to take to Egypt to deliver to Pharaoh? Do you remember God says, the God of the Hebrews, the great I am, says, Pharaoh, let my people go. <clears throat> they were in bondage. And the powers that be were not about to let go and give up all the benefits that they gained from all that free labor. Not without a fight, anyway. And God took the fight to them, remember? The result of, the, of that was those 10 plagues that culminated in the Passover of the death angel resulting in the death of the firstborn in every family which really the firstborn represented. He was the representative of the family and so the death angel passed over and, uh, and they all died. And then the Red Sea and the crossing of the Red Sea, God showed himself there as a warrior for his people, right? God fought for them that day. That's what they sang about as they rejoiced on the other side of those waves, how God fought for them that day. And the people of Israel became a nation that day. Scripture says that they were born as a nation that day. Or reborn, born out of Egypt, born out of suffering, born out of shame, reborn as God redeemed them out of the bondage of Egypt. And that would become their identity. What does it mean to say that would become their identity? What, what, does that, what does that mean? How did that become their identity? Well, it's simply this, and this really is the main point this morning. It means that they became a people that belonged to God. He redeemed them to himself for himself. Now, redeemed is an old word, right? It's a word we don't use a whole lot anymore, and when we do use it, it usually means something a little bit different than what it actually means uh, in truth, because uh, it it is a a, a kind of an old word, Um, but it's an important word. And it means to buy back. Now, that's not just my definition. Uh, That's what the word means linguistically. It means to buy back. You can look it up in a biblical dictionary, of course. But you can look it up in any dictionary. Because it's not just a theological concept. But it is an important uh, theological uh, significance. To redeem is to buy back. And the cost of redemption is the price of freedom. The price that is paid to satisfy justice. Because they had sold themselves. Oppression entered the picture over time. But whether the cause for our bondage is our own transgression Or the transgressions of others against us, either way, and usually it's a combination of both, but either way, the price has to be paid. So, question where was the cost for God in the deliverance of the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt? It was the life of the Lamb. Life for life. Now, the Red Sea episode uh, pictured kind of a sort of uh, death and resurrection experience for the entire nation. Uh, it was their baptism, if you will. They were reborn that day. They were given life. The Book of Acts. Peter calls Jesus the author of life. And over and over again, as you read through the salvation history of the Old Testament, over and over again throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God makes reference to the fact that Israel is a people belonging to him because he redeemed them to himself and for himself. Now, the scriptures use a multitude of, of uh, metaphoric, what could be called metaphoric frameworks to describe for us uh, what his saving work is and what it means for us to be saved. As I mentioned some here, you probably will recognize them from your own Bible reading. There's the, there's the forensic uh, motif in the Bible, you know, justification, imputed righteousness, the whole, that whole courtroom setting is used to communicate our salvation. Then there's other things like the health paradigm, being made whole or being made well. Uh, is uh, is used in a, in a sense uh, throughout Scripture uh, to describe for us what it means to be to be saved. There's the um, transformation from light to darkness. There's the uh, sacrificial system. Uh, there is this the the militant motif or uh, warfare and victory, if you will. There's the idea of being lost and being found, which we hear a lot of as we read through the gospel accounts, the journey home, uh, and, re- and related to that, the idea of reconciliation to father and family. You recognize these different uh, pictures or lenses that we view salvation through. There's the idea of the, of adoption is big in the New Testament, but also contained in uh, in uh, the Old Testament. There's the delivery from slavery to freedom, and in conjunction with that, this this uh, com- what could be called a commercial. Uh, or com, uh, com, a yeah, commercial um, uh, motif or business motif that gives us the concept of redemption. And on and on they go, these different lenses. And there's all kinds of overlap because God can mix his metaphors, and he does. We're not supposed to do that, but God does it all the time. He, so he mixes the metaphors. And he, you know, for, so, for example, you have this idea of deliverance, but then you have the idea of redempt, redemption as God mixes these you know, military with commerce Metaphors. There's uh, other and there's other mixing, like uh, uh, being washed, which is that clean metaphor or cleanliness metaphor. But then we're told that we're washed in the blood of the lamb, which is the sacrificial metaphor. And so God mixes them them all all up. But uh, but it's it's just it's wonderful. And as we today think about what God has done through the lens of this concept of redemption, this biblical concept of redemption. I want to take you uh, through a few passages this morning, if you will join me, starting with Exodus chapter 19. I'm just going to wait a moment while you uh, make your way there, Exodus 19, and we're going to read the first six verses together. Exodus 19, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from uh, Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. And the Lord God called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the host of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Beautiful, eh? How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Those words, those last two words are, are, are extremely significant, aren't they? Verse 5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me, verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and, holy, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God redeemed Israel out of Egypt into sonship, into uh, that relationship, that covenant with him, and into a life of worship and service of God as a kingdom of priests. What about you and I? Do you know that you are a priest? I'm talking to Christians. If you have committed your life to Christ, if you have accepted, received the grace that he extends to any who come to him, if you have, you are a priest. New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. You, many of you are familiar with this passage. We even sing a song about it, called "The Cornerstone." All right, First Peter chapter two. But coming out of First Peter chapter two and verses nine and ten, Peter says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, not not just a priest, but a royal priest, king and priest." Phenomenal. A holy nation, he says. A people for his own possession. What did he tell them at the mountain? You shall be my treasured possession. You know Peter has, has uh, Exodus 19 in mind, right? You, you, there's no escaping it, right? He does. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why why is that passage of Scripture so important? All all Scripture is important, but this passage of Scripture uh, tells us um, who we are. And it's really important to know who you are. It's really important to know who you are. Who are you? And again, this this is the main point this morning because who you are is determined by to whom you belong. You are whose you are. If you belong to God, that is your identity. Now, just think for a moment. What does it mean? What does it mean to belong to God? it's possessive. God says, you will be my treasured possession. So it's possessive, but it's not in a sense of bondage. And in fact, it's just the opposite of that. It's freedom because we are made for him. We were made to worship him. I When I was thinking this through this week, the words of Chris Tomlin came to my mind. He has filled our hearts with wonder so that we always remember. You and I were made for worship. You and I are called to love. You and I are forgiven and free. Do you know this one? You and I embrace surrender. You and I choose to believe. You and I will see who we were meant to be. You and I were made for worship it's our identity. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go so they may serve me. Exodus chapter nine, verse one. And some translations have there that they may worship me. And we've talked before, I've shared before uh, numerous times, the connection, the close connection in Scripture between worship and service and how they, they are uh, uh, incorporated into one another linguistically as well as practically and theologically. You can't worship God without serving serve Him. Serving Him, right? And so let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go so they will serve me. It's bonds, without bondage. I know that some people think of marriage as bondage. We love to tease people. Nick's not here this morning, and we could give him a little bit of resin. But uh, you know, it's like, oh, your life's over. <laughs> That's the cynical view, right? But there is a bond of matrimony, right? We talk about the holy bonds of matrimony. Well, is that bondage? Well, I guess it could be, depending on who you're bound to. But we don't need to go there. I am, I am kidding, really. Um, but it's, it's bonds without bondage. It's actually, and in Scripture, uh, it, it's, about, it's about real freedom. And I, I remember like it was yesterday, years ago, this would be about 1983, hearing Warren Weersby on Back to the Bible broadcast. You remember this, Dale? Bondage to, uh, how's it called? Bondage to, uh, freedom to sin, this is it. Freedom to sin is bondage, but bondage to Christ is true freedom. It's true. It's true. And the only ones who really know it's true are the ones that experience it. But we talked about belonging. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about belonging in a, in a, um, in a, bo- a sense of bondage, like chattel or cattle. You know, uh, when, a, when a man says to a woman, I am yours, that's not bondage. That's belonging all the difference in the world. Uh, The 1962 song by the Supremes, composed by Smokey Robinson, Your Heart Belongs to Me. 1962, you remember that, Dale? (laughs) (laughs) 1998, Peebo Bryson, My Heart Belongs to You. In 1977, Barbara Streisand, I love Barbara Streisand, every time she's, I hear her sing, my, I get all soft and mushy inside. <laughs> 1977, the year I graduated from high school, she sang, my heart belongs to me. People in our day have, in large part, lost the idea of belonging as a source of identity. We have all these slogans like finding yourself and being true to yourself and following your heart and you be you. and What is that? Well, for one thing, they're totally subjective. And they are an attempt to self-identify, but it's a pretty small package when you get it all wrapped up, isn't it? Identity is such a big issue in our day, but it seems that everyone wants to self-identify. It's all part of the age we're living in and the development uh, of our society, again away away from biblical values and away from a biblical worldview. It's subjective secularism, and uh, historians are referring to it sometimes as the age of expressive individualism. But what if identity is a matter of belonging? What if the world has it all wrong? <laughs> and scripture has it right. And, the, and that identity is a matter of belonging. And that we are who we are because of whose we are. I find it interesting how the law that God gave Moses at the top of that mountain uh, for the people included Uh, the laws of redemption. So not only does God redeem Israel out of Egypt, and not only does God refer to that over and over again throughout the whole Old Testament as the the basis for the people belonging to him, that he redeemed them to himself and for himself, but he also gave them laws of redemption. And the laws of redemption are really, really interesting. Uh, and there was the obligations of the, the kinsman or the ob- uh, obligations of the kinsman redeemer. If someone had, to impover- uh, had been impoverished and had to sell themselves as a slave, they could be redeemed along with their property, but that would require a redeemer, a kinsman, somebody who cared enough to step up and publicly pay the price to redeem them. Typically, uh, a brother, because it had to be the next of kin. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And of course, most of you know that the book of Ruth in the Old Testament is a beautiful account of that kinsman redeemer, the goel. He is; uh, they are known as in in Hebrew the goel. And I hope that we can talk a little bit next week, the Lord willing, uh, uh, in a message entitled uh, "Christ, Our Brother." Uh, about that kinsman redeemer, but one of the things that we uh, won 't go into this morning uh, as well that 's also really I find very interesting and significant related to the biblical teaching in the Old Testament about redemption is how it is intended to def- uh, define our lives, not not just the sense of identity but but really how that that truth that we have been redeemed to God, for him, is actually defines how we live our lives as we're called to righteousness. So, for example, take a look with me at Hebrews, or sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 17 through 22. This is really, really, this is really profound and, uh, and amazing, but take a look with me. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17, you shall not pervert the justice due the sojourner or traveler or alien, whatever you have there in your version, or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember, there's that word again, that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that, isn't that what, we, what, we, what we read in the, in the New Testament with reference to Christ and how he t- tells us to love people the way he loved us? And to do for people the, the way he has treated us? Like That's the fruit of the gospel in our, our lives. Verse 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the Lord your God, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. The basis upon which I command you to do this this, is that reality. What reality? The reality of your redemption. The reality that you were bought and paid for. As an act of grace by a God who loves you. And he knows who you are because he made you who you are. And he calls you by name. Jesus said, every hair on your head is numbered. You can also, if if you're taking notes, jot down Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, chapter 6, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 14, chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 16, verses 12, uh, verse 12, and chapter 24, verses uh, 18, well, verses 17 to 22, that's what we just read. All of these passages say, remember, or don't forget that you were redeemed. And it's presented there as the rationale and motivation for righteous living, extending justice and mercy to others. That's more powerful than anything you will hear from this world you live in. When we think about changed lives, when we think about uh, life the way it should be, and how we should be living our lives, and what the answers are to the problems that we face in our day. But I want to go now to, uh, lastly, this morning, one more scripture, and that's uh, from the life of David. How are we doing for time here? Yeah, We're in trouble, but that's okay. (laughs) We've been here before. A lot going on these days. A lot going on this morning. I'm thankful for every bit of it. So I'm going to try to speed up a little bit. You 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 keep up, okay? Second Samuel chapter seven, verses twenty one through twenty four. Uh, this is part of the uh, the passage that we directed you in the newsletter. For those of you three of you who read the newsletter. Um, This is a part of the passage we directed you to read ahead of today's message time, right? And uh, it's uh, Christmas time, and so many of the prophecies and the expectations coming into Christmas as we write those, uh, like those Advent candles, Advent means coming, right? And expectations in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah, so many of them come to us from the life of the, the shepherd king, David, and the prophecies out of the life of David. And David was the anointed king who prefigured the anointed one, the Messiah, king of Israel, king of the world. There is the promises of David. There's the city of David. There's the house and lineage of David, right? And the root of Jesse, and on and on it goes. Isaiah is filled with those wonderful uh, messianic promises. So are the Psalms. But but turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. So in this passage that's commonly referred to as the Davidic covenant, God has just finished telling David about the one who would come, who would be a son of David. But he would be the son of David. And that God was going to establish David's house, which is another, uh, it's a, a metonym for family. House becomes all right, so of the house and lineage of David is the family of David. Um, so God's just finished telling him this, and David's praying, okay? So here we are picking up. David's praying, Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 21 through 24. Because of your promise, listen to the words of his prayer. Because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, o, God, o Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people? the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself. He's repeating himself here. Whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods, and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O oh Lord, became their God. What is that? That's belonging. That's belonging with a capital uh, B. That's belonging with exclamation points. That's belonging in the most pro- profoundest sense of the term, His people. That's the kind of belonging that we're talking about here. And it's everything but oppressive. It's the most liberating, the most great and awesome thing in the world and in the world to come to belong like this to the great God and Redeemer whom we worship together as part of his family. Society in general, what the Bible refers to sometimes as the world, holds to some very mistaken notions about freedom. Have you noticed that? Now, freedom is quite obviously a good thing, but how we conceive of what we mean and what it means to be free is, uh, is so, so, so important. Uh, young people, and we have some young people in our congregation, and I want to say young, to you, young people, finding yourself, being true to yourself, following your heart, You being you. These are all slogans of a lost world. People struggling to self-identify, trying to create their own identity, trying to create meaning for themselves, which is a very foolish thing to do. Listen, life is relationship. Relationship life is relational. Identity is determined by relationship. Who you are is based on whose you are. Our three core uh, uh, values as a church are truth, community, engagement. But sometimes we get to unpack those a little bit. And inside truth, we find meaning. And inside uh, community, we find belonging. And inside engagement, we find purpose. And we can unpack them more than that, too. But for this morning, I just want to be clear about this, that life is relationship, and identity is established in belonging. Who we are is wrapped up in community. Where are you going to get your sense of identity? Because people look at all different kinds of places for it. Some people look to what they do, and they try to get their identity out of what they do. That's common. Many people in our day try to assign identity to themselves. I heard, uh, I don't know if it was Craig or Mark uh, Kielberger, one of them, I heard him say this just the other day on a news clip You can be anything, you can do anything. That's just not true. It sounds great, but it's not true. When identity doesn't come from relationship, what, what, what does that leave us with? Well, it leaves us with individualism. Not only do you cut yourself off from others when you try to establish your own identity, but you also, more importantly, cut yourself off from the one who made you and redeemed you at great personal cost to himself because he loves you and knows you by name. Not only that sense of identity gets lost, but the sense of well-being. Do you, do you know what the stats are on depression in our day? Do you know what the loneliness stats are in our day? Have you looked at that stuff? It's just going up and up and up and up and up. And all the while, the world's saying, we got the answers, we got the answers. We just need more, more psychologists, more counselors, more of this, more of that. Because we, we got this figured out. only problem is, when you look at the results the results don't show that at all. People are becoming more depressed, more lonely, especially young people. That younger demographic, the stats on that scares me so much because we we have the answers. The answers are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what people really need, God wants to give you. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. We sing that, right? I'm no longer a slave to sin. Fear, sorry, whatever. Either one, both. And I am a child of God. What difference does that make in your life when you know you're his? Makes all the difference in the world. You know, what does that do for insecurity? Because insecurity is one of the big problems now. The reason that, that so many young people are so uh, depressed is because they're afraid. So many of them have grown up in broken homes or failed promises over and over again. Everybody has let them down. The meaning of Christmas is all wrapped up in identity. The identity of the child born long ago. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be assigned to you, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And the gospel accounts go on to make the identity of Christ the critical issue. Identity is a really big issue in our day. Everyone seems to want to self-identify. It's the age of expressive individualism. But traditionally, identity has always been determined by relationships. That's why family is so important. Well, it's one of the reasons who you are is a matter of whose you are. It's not a matter of self-expression. It's not a matter of self-determination. It's a matter of belonging. In two weeks' time, Lord willing, Joss is going to take us into the New Testament, some, new, some of the New Testament passages where we see this concept of redemption opened up over and over again by the apostles as they try to explain to us what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what it means to be saved by him. But if you can uh, say with me this morning, if you can say with me this morning, I've been redeemed. Jesus shed his blood for me. He shed his life's blood. He gave his life for me. If you can say that, In faith, as a confession of faith this morning, then you uh, belong to Him by virtue of two things. Number one, He made you. You are a special creation of God, made in His image with great dignity and worth. Don't ever forget that. Paul Tripp, in his book, and I'm almost going to finish up here, but I've got to get to the second point, why you belong to him. But before that, Paul Tripp, in his book, Lead, says this, the disobedience of Adam and Eve was profoundly more than the eating of a forbidden food. It was a rejection of their identity as creatures of the most high God and buying into an identity that did not have God at the center. You, If you have been redeemed, if you can say that as confession and understand what it means and, and you can personally confess that before God, um, then you belong to him by virtue of the fact that he made you. But also the second thing is you belong to him by virtue of the fact that he redeemed you at great personal cost. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb, when he saw Jesus coming, right? You belong to him, and you are precious in his sight. You are a child of God. That's whose you are and who you are. That's your identity. That's your life. And if you belong to him, and I belong to him, then together we belong. And that is our identity and that's our identity together. We live in an age that historians are calling the age of expressive individualism. And people have never been lonelier, and they've never been more depressed. What about you? What's your situation today? Do you know who you are? Can you say you've been redeemed? Have you come to a point in your life where you have lifted your eyes and allowed God to lift your eyes to the one who who gave it all, who paid the price for you, who suffered and, and shed his blood to deliver you, to buy you back and to make you his? Because if you have, it will make all the difference in this life and in the world to come. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. We've gone a little bit over, so I'm going to make this prayer really short, but I want to pray on behalf uh, and pray with you, invite you to pray. If you've not made that confession and commitment, now's a, a wonderful opportunity for you to do that, and I also want to pray for... Uh, all of us this morning if you would pray with me lord i pray for those who may have heard these words this morning and have never really bowed their knee to the king the messiah king the lord jesus christ the son, the son of david the 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 one who as christmas is all about and fulfills all those promises of how the government should be upon his shoulder and he would be the prince of peace the everlasting father lord we, uh, I, I just ask, Lord, that they, may, that they might even right now just bow the knee of their heart and just confess you as Lord and Savior and as the great Redeemer, the only Savior that there is. And, Lord, for all of us this morning, um, it's so important, Lord, to, that we know who we are. Help us, Lord. You've revealed it to us in your Word Help us to not just read those words and read those passages, but help us, Lord, to really step into those truths and and to own them even as you have claimed us as your own. I pray, Father, that it would change us and that we would um, be um, compelled and propelled into this world to love others with the great love that you have shown for us by paying the ultimate price. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.